I'm Trisha Real, also known as Trish the Dish. And I'm Isaac Bluefoot, and you're listening to Salty Astrology. Which you could take with a grain of salt. And we're serving it by the buckets. I honestly haven't had anything I'm really salty about lately. Okay. Because I'm so busy producing several podcasts and writing that I feel like I don't even notice what the astrology is. Even though I know what's actually going on specifically in detail more, I barely have the time in my life to observe. Besides the fact that I feel like I'm getting more dishes done. More dishes? Yeah, I am getting more dishes That's done. That's great! So I have not that much to be salty about. This wood dragon, as we were talking about, is a nice one. It's definitely, I feel very productive and oriented towards the actions that need mm -hmm. to get done. Do you have any salt this week? No, I just have, there's just a lot of aspects. So um, for me, it's just been a lot to uh, keep in my head. Oh, we're that dense in, in aspects happening. Oh, there's so many things. Like, okay. yeah. Well, I'll find something to be salty as we go then. I'm sure there's plenty. <laughs> yeah. The last time we talked, we were talking about uh, the approaching quarter moon aspects. Mars conjuncting Pluto and Aquarius, February 13th. Jupiter, Moon, Uranus, all conjuncting in Taurus on February 15th. Those were things that were in our last episode. And that brings us to the first quarter moon, February 16th. Ooh, I have very little time to edit this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, February 16th is interesting because Venus conjuncts Pluto in Aquarius, exactly. And uh, this is, you know, intense, potentially volatile, deep. Uh, we're not interested in the superficial. Art and love both have the potential to regenerate like a butterfly. So that's kind of interesting that it happens on Valentine's Day week. We have a lot of Venus and Mars action combining with Pluto. <laughs> yeah, and because Mars was the traditional ruler of Scorpio before we discovered Pluto, them being together is bringing an extra Scorpio energy to Aquarius. It could. There's, you know, definitely an element of transforming the ideals and doing it in a very action-oriented way with a lot of power. So there could be power struggles, but there's Venus is also there. So here it could be circumstances that force change. It could be just a transformation of our ideals. And it's kind of interesting that on uh, between February 16th and the 18th, there will be five planets in Aquarius, which is very unusual. And in addition to Venus and Mars and Pluto being in Aquarius, we also have the Sun and Mercury. And it's in a stellium, so they're all kind of in Aquarius. They're not all conjunct like Venus, Pluto, and Mars are, but they are all in the sign of Aquarius. And the last time we had this many planets in Aquarius was in 1962. Well, that's not very common. No, it's not. And I know some people that were born in 1962 that happened to have five planets in Aquarius, and they're all super visionary people. So it's kind of interesting that this is a time when we could actually embrace some vision for the future. Hooray! <laughs> yeah, so happy birthday to all of the 1962 people, uh, because there's uh, some sort of return to this idealistic awesomeness that they embody. But the other thing about the 16th 
and the 17th of February is that Mercury in Aquarius is going to be squaring Uranus. And as you probably remember, Mercury is the planet of communication and the mind. Uranus is the uh, planet of change. And when they're making a square 90 degree angle, we might be surprised by what we say or what others say. <laughs> it's an unpredictable energy. I could imagine it would bring forth epiphanies that maybe aren't the thing we were hoping to realize. Yeah, I mean, it could be illuminating. I mean, it could, you know, bring up like ideas we haven't thought of before. Challenging ideas. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> and Mercury's in Aquarius while Uranus is in Taurus. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing innovation coming at odds with the nitty gritty of reality. Yeah, could be, could be. So February 19th, we have a transition because the sun enters Pisces and we'll start to approach the conjunction to Saturn. Saturn, as you might remember, is the planet of life, lessons, limitation, structure. So as you've often talked about for a while now, Saturn's been bringing a hard reality to the dreamy space of Pisces. And here comes that booming sense of self to line up with Saturn and give it a little more oomph. Yeah, so yeah, definitely there's going to be more energy for uh, Saturn in Pisces and there are going to be more planets in the water realm, more in the emotional realm because Sun and Saturn will be trining the moon in watery Cancer on February 19th. Ooh. Yeah, so that's also uh, just another kind of shift in energy. And this is a waxing moon. Yes, because we're approaching the full moon on the 24th. So this is just all just energy that we're approaching. You know, this reminds me that we were talking about my salt from last week. So here's a little salt for you. Mm -hmm. That actually is a, how I dissolved the salt. <laughs> I, I worked on the salt after our episode. Yeah. Talking about it with friends and family and working through my process of my problem with the idea of a loose triangle or a loose square or whatnot. And I think what it ended up being was just my own particular need for more precise vernacular, because I found that as we were talking, eventually I did relent and say, fine, I'm okay with the term loose. <laughs> if we specified what kind of loose it was, so, for instance, if the terminology loose trine were used with a decaying loose trine, so saying that it's waning from the trine, or if it's an approaching loose trine, or whatever language would be more specific. And I realized that when the language of including a waxing or waning quality to it, so like decaying or approaching, would give me the sense that we're no longer being imprecise. Because yes, it does offer information to say that it's loose, but it offers more information than just a little by adding a single kind of looseness. Because we say waxing moon, we say waning moon. I feel understanding whether the pressure is building towards a trine or leaving a trine is entirely relevant to saying sure. that it's a loose trine. So it turns out I'm not salty about the term loose. I'm just wishing we had one more word to describe it so that I can understand what we're talking about. So in my own case, I'm trying to get precise language 
that allows for me to be in the conversation fully rather than abstractly. Anywho. Yeah, so after the 19th of February, we have between February 21st to the 23rd, Venus and Mars conjunct exactly. Ooh. Yeah, they're going to be at 6, 7, and 8 degrees on February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, and that will be 6, 7, and 8 degrees of Aquarius. And this conjunction between Venus and Mars only happens once every two years. So it's kind of a new cycle for Venus and Mars and their dance together. This time they're innovating their relationship in Aquarius. Yeah. So, yeah. we so cute. Yeah. And could be cute. Could be that we might even have a more intellectual approach to love and creativity. Uh, we'll see. More inventive. Yeah. And the same time, on February 21st and 22nd, Venus and Mars approach an exact square to Jupiter and will be opposing the Moon in Leo at the same time. So hmm. it's a very dynamic February 21st and 22nd. It's the Venus-Mars square to Jupiter won't be exact until the full Moon on the 24th and 25th. But it's approaching, and so, you know, something I want people to kind of understand that we have a very dynamic energy going on as we approach the full moon. And, you know, we'll talk more about this when we do talk about the full moon, but I just kind of wanted to bring that in. That sounds a way less cute than I thought. I gotta be honest. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how that goes. And then as we approach the full moon on February 23rd, Mercury enters Pisces. So now Mercury is going to be close to the sun and approaching Saturn. So here it's about being the realistic visionary. In relation to Saturn, because Saturn's bringing in the discipline yep. that perhaps has been not in this recipe until now. Yes, because yeah, now we have Mercury in Pisces as well as the sun. So they're all going to be combined. So uh, then that brings us to the full moon on February 24th. Ooh, tell us about it. Uh, well, it's going to be a full moon in Virgo. It will be at 4.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, February 24th. So adjust for your location. So uh, it's also known as the snow moon. <laughs> Just as a little bit of lore. It's going to be a micro moon as well. Is that because it's going to appear smaller in the sky? Yeah, it will appear smaller because the, when the moon is full, it's going to be reaching its farthest distance from the Earth, or what they call its apogee. So there's apogee and perigee. Apogee is away, perigee is closer. And so it will be a micro moon. Oh, so even smaller on our phone's cameras. Yeah. <laughs> so it's also going to be doing this in the company, as you just mentioned, of Mercury and Saturn. Yes, and Mercury, Sun, and Saturn will be together and they'll be opposing the Moon in Virgo at five degrees. And the lore is that this is a cleansing Moon because it has to do with the Pisces-Virgo polarity. So it's a balance between the day-to-day -day routines and your physical, spiritual health. I'm a Virgo Moon. Yeah, I'm a Pisces Moon. So, and I can yeah. say from my 
intuition on the subject, though Virgo is not known for its intuition, that the meticulousness of Virgo can act as a kind of sieve. And if it's going to be a purification, there's a lot that you can do with Virgo energy to really go through the meticulousness and the, the minutiae and remove it as a whole and even oh. clarify it and classify it. Yeah, for sure. I have a ton of Virgo in my chart as well. And for me, even personally, it's always this process of striking a balance between work and service and criticism and acceptance. Mm -hmm. So, you yeah, know, that last one really does ring a bell on the Virgo <laughs> scales. <laughs> yeah. The thing I'm least salty about astrology is that it really gives me a lot of chance to forgive people and myself. Yeah. And it took me a while to realize what a Virgo moon meant. But when I was a teenager and came to grasp it and went, oh, so I never will feel feelings that I don't analyze while I'm feeling them. Oh, okay. Then I forgive myself for overthinking my feelings <laughs> henceforth. And it's really been a relief. If I'm already going to overthink my feelings, it's nice to not have to overthink that other uh. part. <laughs> yeah. So. A lot yeah. of times I do give also, I'll give myself a cosmic break or I'll give other people a cosmic break just because I understand, you know, I'm going through a really difficult transit or they are or something like that. So that's one thing that astrology has given to me is a little bit of understanding, even if it's potentially just fictional based on lore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, but it's really helpful when you're like, okay. This person's having a hard time driving. I don't know how their ninth house is expected. I have no idea what they're going through in life. So who am I to decide that they are failing at their task? This could be them at their peak performance. <laughs> yeah, I often can see, you know, the people are going through cosmic challenges and, you know, that helps a little bit in understanding why the people act the way they do. Yeah, it helps me forgive people through astrology. Yeah, so this full moon, there's a highlight of the need for order, as well as having some vision. This moon emphasizes the value of hard work and organization because of its connection with Saturn in the midst of the whole thing. The Saturnian influence is really strong, so there may be thoughts and feelings of melancholy as well. Well, that's Pisces for you. <laughs> yeah, that's Pisces. Yeah, I have a lot of Pisces in my chart, and I find that swimming is the thing that helps me get out of my melancholy. It's so that's what I do. Good to have a solution for that time of year. Oh, yeah, or any time of year. <laughs> well put. Yeah. So, yeah, this will be themes of health and wellness that might come into play. So it's good to remember to support our bodies with nutritious foods, plenty of cleansing liquids and rest if you need it. We could revitalize outdated structures. We can approach change from a collaborative standpoint rather than dishing out new rules and procedures. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, personally, I don't mind following rules, especially at work. But when my boss told me I had to stop impersonating flamingos, I had to put my foot down. So, uh, so yeah, this full moon is pretty epic because Venus and Mars are getting close to making an exact square to Jupiter, 
which was approaching on the 21st and 22nd. We kind of alluded to it already. But come the 24th. Yeah, we might be excited, but it's not wise to expand too fast. Mm. They say there could be, you know, a wish to indulge in fun rather than working too hard. <laughs> I would almost wonder if we're going to expand whether we do it or not. And it's going to be a matter of how we approach that expansion that's mm. going to determine the results. Kind of the thing like the Saturn return. I remember before I went into my Saturn return, being aware that it was there, I would watch people in that age and like talk to them about how they were doing. Yeah. And consistently, the people that were making the mature choice were sailing through their Saturn returns. Yeah. And the people who were like, screw it, going to go to a party tonight, were the people who were crashing through their Saturn returns. <laughs> yeah. So when we get hard actions with planets, it doesn't necessarily mean like we can avoid the thing that's going to happen, but our approach to it, this doesn't involve Saturn, but. No, but it's still a square and square is challenging. And with the square to Jupiter in Taurus, the advice is don't overspend on luxury items and embrace moderation. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> I know plenty of people have already made that spending choice. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, now you got to live with it or figure it out. And you can't help but figure it out on the next round of stars because the results are coming down the wheel. Yeah, one way or the other. Exactly. Yeah. Also, Venus will begin to make a square to Uranus. When does that square start? It starts at around the full moon, but it's just beginning to get an orb, the Venus square to Uranus. So it's, you know, basically it supports being spontaneous. There's more of a need for freedom, independence, that kind of thing. So overall, it does look like a fairly difficult full moon, except for that the moon is going to be making a harmonious trine to Jupiter, the planet of luck and expansion. So it could provide energy for inspiration and encouragement and it could be a stabilizing influence to the overall dynamic dynamic is the right word for it yeah because we've got this opposition a trine a sextile and then two other planets coming in on a square that aren't part of that triangle in the sky yeah there's a lot of moving parts the February 25th is a little bit easier because the moon trines Uranus on the 25th and the moon is also going to be opposing Neptune on the 25th, but it's still easier than the moon's opposition to Saturn, Sun and Mercury on the 24th, which is the actual full moon. So things do get easier the next day slightly. Uh-huh. And also February 26th and 27th are slightly easier because the moon moves into Libra, which is an air sign, and it will be making a harmonious trine with Pluto. And then the moon, as it moves forward into Libra, will begin to trine Venus and Mars. Bringing the Libra's balance energy into the situation. Yeah, and just harmonizing on the air realm. Totally, I can so, see that. Yeah, and at the same time, Mars is going to be making a square to Jupiter exactly on February 26th. So even though there are easier things going on, there's still a square. The good come with the bad. That's part of the wheel. Yeah. And I mean, it could, this kind of a square between action-oriented Mars and expansive Jupiter could bring strength and courage, but it could also be impulsive. 
And the, the advice is to make sure not to burn ourselves out with excessive enthusiasm. For instance, I started teaching one of my young neighbors karate, and he was really enthusiastic at first. Was he? Yeah, but he quit before he could finish painting all of my fences. <laughs> <laughs> so, February 27th and 28th is also pretty significant because the Sun conjuncts Saturn exactly. This, we have a Sun, Mercury, Saturn, Kazemi. You didn't just make that word up. I did not. <laughs> Kazemi. Yeah. Is a Kazemi another word for conjunction then? It is, and it's usually referred to when the sun is involved. Oh, a Kazemi is a sun conjunction, is what you're telling me. A sun conjunction to something else. That's how I've heard it. Kazemi. So, yeah. So restraint, constraint, and discipline are highlighted because of Saturn. Solidifying things using emotional sense and being a realistic visionary once again. Realistic because of Saturn. Yes, and because Saturn is making a conjunction to Mercury, which has to do with the mind, and it's in Pisces, which is imagination. Yeah, okay. <laughs> What's coming up after that? Well, uh, Venus and Mars begin approaching the square to Uranus, also around February 27th and 28th. So there could be a strong desire to break free from restrictions. It could be a volatile energy, but it could also lead to innovative and creative breakthroughs. This is something we've been feeling building this whole time, right? Yeah. So it's an ongoing plot that we will see culminate. Eventually so, yes. So uh, then uh, we get to February 29th, which is Leap Day. <coughs> oh, I have a new hero telling me Great Aunt Gussie has a commentary. Yes, I'm Great Aunt Gussie. I'm the Great Aunt of Zephram Gates. <laughs> Probably you all know her already. Um, I would like to chime in about Leap Day. Welcome to Salty Astrology. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, Leap Day is a very strange thing we do. Uh, each year actually lasts 365 days and one quarter, so we make up for it with an extra day every four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, I know some things about this. Uh, previously to, uh, 1582, we had the Julian calendar, but the dates weren't really lining up with the seasons anymore, so they made the big switch to the Gregorian calendar right then and there in 1582, and just eliminated 10 whole days from the calendar. 10 days just vanished. Where'd they go? Well, I don't know. I guess when they said your days are numbered, they weren't kidding. <laughs> Well, you know, anywho, uh, they erased these days to mathematically correct our calendar so it would line up with how the Earth revolves around the Sun. But what happened to these 10 days? Yeah, I mean, did the Pope hide those days in his robes? Have you looked? Oh, oh I don't know. <laughs> you should ask him. I should ask him. <laughs> He's probably long gone by now. Yeah. So it was Pope Gregor, though. Pope Gregory the 13th. Oh. Mm -hmm. I guess they couldn't think of any other names. 
Yeah, they got stuck for a while there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was weird is that the missing days happened in October of 1582 because the Pope didn't want people to miss their Christian holidays in the earlier part of the year. <laughs> I mean, heaven forbid. Um, so October 4th, 1582 was followed by October 15th. 1582. Oh, there were 10 specific days we skipped. Yes, the whole thing is as crazy as pushing a noodle up a hill. Although, isn't it more accurate to say that we had been counting days that hadn't existed the whole time and all we were doing was catching up to the actual date because we were inserting imaginary days because we didn't know how to count the actual year? Yeah, we were catching up, but... It turns out that some of the Protestant and Orthodox countries didn't want to adapt the Pope's calendar at first. These were like Catholic Europe, Austria, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Poland, and the Catholic states of Germany. So traveling across a border could mean traveling forward or backward in time. Oh no. Mm-hmm. So you could end up 10 days earlier or later at any given border. Exactly. And I mean, this is really thinking outside the clocks. <laughs> Good one, Great Aunt Gussie. <laughs> yeah. So um, eventually, non-Catholic countries did begin to adapt the Gregorian calendar. The Protestant regions of Germany and the Netherlands switched in the 17th century. Okay, so this took a while to adopt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great Britain and the territories of the British Empire followed suit in 1752. So this is an almost 200-year time period where everybody was working off different calendars. My goodness. But, you know, then after 1752, the Gregorian calendar spread around the globe. Now, I consider myself smarter than the average bear, but this is mind-boggling. Can you imagine the confusion? Like if Americans were to switch from pounds to kilograms overnight, there would be mass confusion. <laughs> so when they skipped those 10 days, they didn't skip the days of the week. It still went from Monday to Tuesday and so forth. You know, I wasn't there, so I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. You seem a little old. Oh. So oh, do you assume... say this to all of your lady friends? <laughs> Only you, Aunt Gussie. Okay, I guess I'm special. <laughs> so, did you know that it's actually not enough to just add an extra day every four years? I didn't know that at all. Yeah, so it turns out that... Oh, no, I actually did know this. If it's divisible by four, we have a leap day, unless it's 1900 or 2100. And then we don't... Do it, I think. I think that's how it works mm -hmm. because the math is not exactly precisely one day every four years. Mm, it's a little bit uh, askew, yeah. By a couple hundred years. <laughs> so, yeah, quite the coordinating act. Yes. Thank yeah. you for coming, Great Aunt Gussie. I appreciate you sharing that little bit of calendar trivia with us. Yes, uh, thanks, Aunt Gussie. Uh, thanks for letting us know a little bit about Leap Day. <laughs> so I guess I was going to talk about Leap Day before Aunt Gussie started talking about it, but I was just going to talk about the astrological aspects. Yeah, that's probably more on topic. Let's stick to that. Okay. So there's a big T-square with Venus and Mars. 
squaring Jupiter and Uranus and the moon in Scorpio on February 29th, leap day. Oh, goodness. So it's dynamic, fixed energy. We could organize things and be in the center of it all somehow. And the Saturn-Sun-Mercury conjunction will sextile Jupiter in Taurus, so that's helpful. It's an opportunity to make the best of a situation. Yeah. It feels really a lot like a progressive ratcheting throughout this entire cycle, where we keep getting another inclination of escalating some other part of the plot line at different moments throughout the moon cycle. Yeah, definitely some ratcheting. That's what squares remind me of, and oh boy, are there some squares. Yeah. The moon in Scorpio does trine the Saturn-Sun-Mercury conjunction in Pisces on leap day, so that's harmonizing on the emotional empathy level. Yeah, and that's a trine in water signs. Yes. Probably harder to articulate than a trine in an air sign, but still <laughs> just as vital and vibrant. Yes, definitely harmonizing on the emotional level and... The moon trines Neptune on March 1st. Even greater empathy is possible. Oh? Yeah, and you know, I'm pretty empathic naturally, mm -hmm. but I have zero empathy for sociopaths. Um. Yeah, but to be fair, they don't have any for me either. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the last quarter moon is officially March 2nd, 3rd, and uh, this Sun, Saturn, Mercury will square the Moon in Sagittarius, which is a mutable sign, so it'll be helpful to be adaptable. And it'll be bringing more mutable energy to that Pisces party. For sure. So we've reached the quarter Moon. Yeah, the waning quarter Moon, March 2nd, 3rd. And overall general thoughts about this time period is Feels generally like unsettled energy with Pluto conjunctions to so many of the personal planets uh, and with numerous aspects to Uranus and Taurus. And uh, it could all potentially help us shake off parts of ourselves that have felt small, which is cool. But it does feel like extremes, working out fears, so many unknowns with Pluto highlighted, yeah. a lot of big what ifs. And huge doubts. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I've started doubting myself much less recently, though. Uh, at least I think so. <laughs> so the deep Pluto conjunctions to planets going through Aquarius can help us figure out what we actually want next. New directions, new life potentials. And we can possibly clear out limitations from our past, adapt, and imagine new conditions. I'm always trying to, personally. I'm trying to imagine new conditions for my kitchen, as I mentioned with those dishes I'm doing. Yeah, sounds good. As I also mentioned, I've been doing a lot of writing, so hence the kitchen. Yeah. In my own chart, I think this is all gonna bring a lot of activity into my fourth house. So what perfect timing to be working on my house and trying to make it a more pleasant place to be and more True. nourishing for my soul. This is a good time to go through all of that stagnation that I have in the house and do the spring cleaning. Yeah, because you've got Pisces energy in your fourth house, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What house is it happening for you? It's in my sixth house. 
Oh, so this is very much emphasized in your health routine. Health and work. I have been still looking for work, so if you wanted to hire me, you could. <laughs> so, yeah, that sounds like we're going to be having um, something of a cliffhanger of a moon cycle. It sounds like all of these things are building, these plot lines are getting more and more, but I don't see resolutions within this cycle of the moon for many of these issues. Mm -hmm. Maybe some from that culminating conjunction between Venus and Mars. Yeah. Which really just sets off all of the entirety of the plot that goes through. It's a good thing they're together for this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, how romantic, though not cute. And not cute, no. But we do have a lot of uh, interesting things coming up in the spring, so keep on tuning in. For more salty astrology. In the meantime, if you want to listen to Zephyrum Gates, any of the three Zephyrum Gates books currently available, mm -hmm. where do they want to find you, Trish? Where do you think people interact with you the most? Well, I'm on Facebook and Instagram a bit, and also they can just go to ZephyrumGates.com. Fantastic. Yeah, I just recently found my websites are having some issues, so I'll recommend if anyone wants to know more about the Kinetic Paranormal Society. This podcast is produced by the Kinetic Paranormal Society. We are a puppet troupe, as well as a pair of socks and a magical wardrobe traveling through time and space, and a kinetic sculpture team, if that is relevant to anyone listening who races their own bicycle-powered sculptures. So, yeah, and we produce a lot of podcasts. Look at us. <laughs> yeah. Hey, check out Kinetic Paranormal Society on Instagram and Facebook and uh, uh, I don't know what the other uh, social medias, but we try to be on all of them. And I also have my unauthorized biography of Clark Kent. That's Superman, Son of Al. Go check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. And you want to tell them a little bit about your astrology services you offer? Yes, you can get your astrological chart reading and transits. You can also get an astro poem for your kids or your friends' kids or for yourself. They're fun and they're rhyming. What name should people look up when they want to find you, like on Instagram? Oh, that would be Trish Witch. That's like a sandwich. T-R-I-S-H-W-I-C-H. Beautiful. Sounds delicious. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for joining us, everyone. 